Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Glory be to God. Remembering where we're at, still talking on the subject of or the topic of ministry. And today we will be talking about leadership. The last few Sundays.
Why don't they know? Is it because they're not paying attention? Or is it because they do something that should be done? I mean, there's, there's two answers to that. But you have to examine yourself and see where you are. Are you doing this out of self-interest? discredit everything Jesus taught since this is in red letter because he's saying be ye therefore perfect but it's impossible to be perfect but look he didn't just stop there even as your father which is in heaven is perfect not only did you ask me to be perfect but you asked me to be perfect like my father in heaven God you really lost your mind
rust up begins to heal. That's what he's saying, right? Is that what he's talking about here? If I call out to my child and I call one of them by the wrong name, and you know, it's not. No, that's not patience. That's that's just boy. You know who I'm talking to. Is that what he's getting at? Absolutely not. To be perfect, which means to be totally disconnected from sin. That's what he's getting at. Because we serve a holy God, right? Well, there's no sin in God. God can't sin. You know why God can't sin? That means he would be canceling out himself. Because that's what sin is, is to violate God. So how can God violate himself? Equally accountable to what's right, regardless of what position you're in. 
The only difference is as a leader, you are now not only not just accountable to what you know is right, but now you're given increased responsibility. Because as a follower, your job was not to lead anybody else. But now as a leader, not only are you responsible for yourself, but now you're responsible for those who will give you instruction. But in addition, you are given authority. You're given authority to make sure things go the way they're supposed to go. So, for example, if you're in your home, you're a father, or you're a parent in your home, no one else has the authority as a par- in that parental role to raise those children but you. You can't say that in society today because there's so much confusion now. Everything has become confused. You got folks trying to raise other people's kids, so on and so forth. That's one of my pet peeves. You can help me, but it's not your job to raise my children. Amen? That's the truth. What does the scripture say in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your... Now, if we got more than one set of parents, guess what it does for the child? That's confusion. If God wanted you to be the parent, he would have gave the children to... Because the children are a reward from God. Didn't the scripture say that? So he knows who to give them to. Right? But that's confusing. So there is a, there's a structure, there's an order. And for those who are in that leadership position, you are given authority. Who gives you the authority? Whoever is or already has the authority. So in this case, when we're talking about a parental role, that obviously has to come from God. Because if he's the one that's giving children, then he's giving that authoritative role as a parent to the one he's giving the children to. Everybody with me? If you go to work for a company, you understand, you know that when you first start out, you may not be a manager, you may not be a supervisor. But at some point, someone will decide this is a good investment to take this individual and move them up to a supervisory role. But they gave you the authority. Right? They're entrusting you. When you get promoted in the military, they have this long spill. You look on the certificates, a lot of people don't read that much anymore. They just say, congratulations, you're promoted. Skim over the other part. It talks about your responsibility. But it's in there. You are charged to carefully discharge all your duties, your responsibilities, all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. We promoted you because we believe you have potential. Now you're supposed to do the work. In other words, we expect you. Now, if you performed at that caliber before, that's great. We saw your potential. Now we promoted you based upon that potential. Now we expect you to do it. You're a leader. A leader should be able to provide some direction. They should be able to offer some development, and they should also be able to demonstrate. 
I go back to the military, but I can also use examples from the corporate side as well for those who never served. But in the military, one of the first things that, that you do, everybody knows, it doesn't matter. Even if you were going in to be an officer, you got, you know, special privileges. I got a degree. Yay, let me skip a couple of ranks, whatever. That's great. But everybody has to go through basic training, right? You are a recruit or whatever they call them when you go to basic training. You start out as a recruit. Now, when you're in basic training, they have all these guys with the, you know, the Smokey Bear, whatever else they call them, drill sergeant hats walking around, you know, and, and, you know, they got to wear it a certain way so they can look intimidating, make sure you know they mean business. They ain't going to tell you about all the drama and stuff they had to go through when they went to school to become a drill sergeant and how they was treated like privates. So part, part of them probably just coming through and treating you like they was treated. But it's necessary. They got to make sure you know they mean business. Part of their responsibility is to train you and develop you so that you are ready. So that you become a soldier. We got to help transform you into what you're supposed to be. Don't that sound familiar? You come in off the streets. If you came in like I did, you look crazy. Ain't nobody going to believe you a soldier. Not one bit. But it's our job. It's the drill sergeant's job to take you and maybe break you down if necessary and then build you back up so that you become what you're supposed to become, a soldier. Which means you're going to have to conform. We teach you the things that you're supposed to learn. We teach you everything. We teach you how to use a weapon. Here's the parts of a weapon. This is how you break it down. This is how you put it together. If you get a clock, this is what you need to do. These are the fundamental principles. This is what you do to march. This is how you have to stand at attention. How do you hold your hands? All those different things they teach you so that you can become a soldier. But they don't just tell you. You can tell me to stand at attention. I don't have a clue what you're talking about if I've never been in. If I've never spent any time around the military, I won't know anything you're talking about. Stand at attention. Stand at attention? You have my attention. What are you talking about? But when you tell me to kick my heels together, right? When you tell me to keep my fingers, uh, uh, my thumb is along the seam of my pants, I shouldn't be bowed out. I shouldn't be hand hunched over, right? You tell me how to salute, give a proper salute. Tell them to cut straight cutting edge, you know. None of this. None of this. I hold no. Uh, <laughs> but they teach you all of these things. You go through this process and they show you. They don't just tell you, they show you. Which is why they go through the training first. And the physical demands of PT tests, I can't train you, I can't tell you to pass your PT test as a drill sergeant, and I can't pass my PT test. I'm supposed to be helping you transform, and I haven't conformed yet. Y'all with me? Now, I'm just talking about leadership from a military standpoint. In a corporate standpoint. You, the reason why they have you start at the bottom is so that you begin to learn your roles. You begin to learn everything that you need to know. What job, what positions require what? 
So I work at Arby's now. This is not my first time in a fast food restaurant. But you got to start somewhere. If you have no experience, I would be a fool to make you a manager. You got to start somewhere. So let's put you at the cash register. Put you at the front counter. You get exposed to dealing with customers. You start understanding how to interact with customers. Then I'm going to put you on the fire station. I'm going to put you at drive through because you're a little bit better. Now you can, you can interact with people, but you don't see them, you know, all the time. You know, when they come up and they're asking for different things, you're able to handle different situations without having to see the customer, without having to rely on, I got a face-to-face. How do you deal with them over the, over the speaker? You don't know who you're dealing with. How do you deal with them? Then you get to go on back line and put the orders together so you know how the sandwiches are supposed to be, how the meals are supposed to be put together. We put you through all of this. You're going to do some dishes too? Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, how about you clean the lobby? That's part of your responsibility. Clean the bathrooms. We're going to put you through all of that. So by the time you get to a supervisory role, when you are there, you're the only one. You are in charge. You need to know what needs to be done. But if you've never done it, right, you work, as, you work in the supermarket, you know, whatever your job is, you start somewhere. And they begin to show you. They have training modules in place. They've got all these videos. You know, some places got videos and policies and all these other things, orientation. Most jobs you go to, they give you orientation so they can tell you what's expected of you. Now, that's what a leader should be able to do. Find one person who's in a management position, a supervisory position, that don't know nothing about the job. Nothing at all. I don't know how to manage a business. I don't know what temperature fry is supposed to be on. I don't know how to lay down railroad tracks. Guarantee you, you're going to have some issues from the workers, right? It's going to be confusion. You ever have somebody just, and, and they really don't know, and they guess at it? You do the job, and then you come to find out that wasn't the right way to do it? Isn't that frustrating? Man, I wish I would have known. Well, guess what? As a leader, I'm supposed to be able to tell you the right answer. So a leader has to be able to provide direction, has to be able to develop, has to be able to demonstrate. Now, some, this is, this, is, this is one of my quotes. Some lead with attitude while others lead with character. Now let me explain what I'm talking about. The definition of attitude is the way you think and feel about someone or something. So we're operating in feelings. Most people, they display an attitude based upon how they feel, right? Naturally. Here's the problem with leading with attitude. Most, much of my leadership, what you get from my leadership, is going to be based upon the condition that I'm in. Or the conditions that are surrounding me. So my attitude, based upon how I feel, I feel the way I feel because of the condition or the position that I'm in in life at that very moment. So then my leadership is inconsistent. 
I lead because I feel. So one day you may get, you know, I may feel gracious, I feel good. And so it's like, hey, you know, you're going to get a little extra from me today. For leadership. I might be attentive to your issues and your problems today. Because I feel good. I feel like I can help you. Tomorrow, life is rough. And I ain't got time for nobody's issues. So don't bring your problems to me because I got enough problems of my own. Leave me alone. Can y'all imagine a leader like that? Can you imagine if, if pastor was like that? Today, oh, come on in. You know, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, you know what? God is able. You know what? I'm coming. I'm going to come to the hospital and pray with you. That's the day. I feel good. Tomorrow, I'm praying from the house. Well, we'll be praying. Because I don't feel like going nowhere. I don't feel like visiting you today. That's leading with attitude. Let me give you some biblical examples of what, I'm, what I feel like is leading with attitude. So, let's go to... We're going to go to Exodus... Chapter 32. The setting here, we got the children of Israel. They already left Egypt. They're on their way to being liberated, on their way to the promised land. So in this particular setting, Moses has gone up into the mountain as God has already required of him. He's having a conversation. He's having an encounter with God up in the mountain. And Aaron is down here with the people. All right. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, you've been up there for a long time. Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together into Aaron, who's supposed to be the priest, y'all. And said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, forget all the other stuff we see happening in the mountain. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, and, and we, are, we are acknowledging that it took a mighty act of God. By using Moses to bring us out, we know we crossed the rivers. We know we witnessed that firsthand. But we don't know. We want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto look, look at this. There is no, like there's one gap between verse 1 and 2, and that's the space between the letters. Now, I don't know if it was a year that passed within that little space of time, but it seems to me that this was an immediate response to the request or the demand that they made. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings. He didn't even just, he didn't even entertain the fact that, hey, wait a minute, y'all, this ain't right. Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Who did they bring them to? They brought them to Aaron, right? 
And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten. Who made it a molten calf? Is that what that said? All right. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron, Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Okay. Let's go to verse 21. Remember now, Moses was up in the mountain, right? We don't know what's going on with him. I'm going to skip down to verse 21 intentionally right now. Moses said unto Aaron, he comes down, sees what's going on. What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Look at this question that Moses asked him. And look at Aaron's response. Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, We what not what has become of him. He was right in that part. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it in the fire and there came out this calf. Now, I always say a half truth is just as good as a lie. Then earlier in the scripture it said, Aaron fashion did he not he put some work in (laughs) then he built an altar but his response to Moses look at how inconsistent he was in one chapter yeah you know this is good take out your earrings come on let's put it together I'm gonna fashion this man Man, the earlobe need to be a little bit more sharper than that. Okay, we're going to round this part off, all right? Hey, the, the, you know, the hoof, you got to widen that a little bit. Okay, we got that together. Hey, man, this all right right here. That looks good. Let me build an altar. And I'm proclaiming that tomorrow's a feast to the Lord. I mean, a proclamation. Moses comes down. Hey, man, you know how the people are. They said, do this, so I just took I just took the gold. I just took the collection up. I passed around the offering plate, and everybody put their stuff in. And when I dumped it in the fire, you know, calf came out. Man, I think that was divine provision right there. I thought it was, you know, thought it was God providing us a golden calf. Based upon how he responded. But you see the inconsistency? Aaron obviously was operating out of fear he was supposed to be a priest he was supposed to be helping lead the people but apparently because of fear he couldn't even be consistent in his role let's go to Moses same chapter watch this verse 7 and the Lord said unto Moses Go, get thee down, for 
For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Just had to add that little drama in there. Now, look at this. God is speaking to Moses. He's telling him everything that's going on, right? Okay. Look at what he said. Now, he says, hey, you know what? I'm about to deal with these people. They hard-headed. It don't matter what I do for them. They still want to do their own thing. They don't want to listen. They impatient. They want it their way all the time. They don't want to trust me. I'm showing them signs and wonders, and it's still not enough. I'm providing for them, and it's still not enough. I'm ready to get rid of these people. You ever dealt with somebody like that? Verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Look at Abe, look at Moses talking to God. Boy, that's some, let me tell you something, that's a good relationship right there. I, you know, every time I read stuff like this, I'm amazed because I'm like, wow, you, it's almost like you correcting God. I'm like, man, that's, woo. So he's, but he's interceding now on behalf of the, this is what he's doing. He's interceding on behalf of the people. So God knows his heart. He knows what he's doing. And because, now here's something powerful, just to think about this. For those of us who say we Christians, this is the power of intercession right here. Because when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. But if somebody intercedes, and we got a lot of examples in the scripture about that, God saves a whole country because somebody interceded. Man, that's awesome. You imagine the reason why America is as relatively safe as it is, is because there's some folks who are praying and interceding. The reason why storms are going through places in these foreign countries and people's lives are still being spared and all this violence is happening and people's lives are being spared is because somebody is interceding. So if you didn't think prayer is powerful, you should be reminded. The Bible says prayer of a righteous man. You got to remember that. 
But look at Moses. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. Remember that, God? And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Remember all that? Verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. In other words, he turned from what he was going to do, what he chose to do, because somebody interceded. That's powerful. When you don't know it, you got folks praying for you. You got the man of God praying for you. That's probably why you didn't get in that accident today, or that's probably why your life didn't get taken today, even though it was meant to take your life. Somebody was praying for you. It's not our prayers alone that we getting we getting through. I thank God for all those that have been praying for me, you know, had my surgery, and here it is. I'm able to go about, you know. I still feel things here and there, but I'm able to move about and do the things I need to do, and I know that's because of the prayers of the saints. Thank God for it. But look at this. Now he interceded. Look what happens. Verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, and on the one side, and excuse me, and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, the work of God. He wrote it, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Excuse me, verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. Moses said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. They are actually down there having a good old time. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. This very instance, Moses forgot all about everything that he did, interceding on their behalf, talking to God. He forgot all that. And in this very moment, he was leading out of attitude and not out of character. Angry. And naturally... We done, get, we done went through all this. As old as I am, I'm sitting up here climbing mountains to go meet with God, and y'all can't wait down here for a few days, a few weeks, for me to come back down and give y'all what God has given me. Because, oh, by the way, do y'all remember when y'all said, we don't want to go meet with God personally. You go meet with him and tell us what he said. Sometimes it's a challenge. Numbers chapter 20. Now, I, you know, I just tried to give y'all some, some scriptures here. But these are just a few in here that stands out to me. And, and, and this is not to discredit the 11th chapter of Hebrews because Hebrews, <coughs> excuse me, talks about you know, we talk, call it the Hall of Faith. You know, it talks about the great accomplishments. You know, Moses and, 
and Abraham and all these guys. And so it doesn't take away from that. But these are moments that they too had to be developed as leaders. Look at this verse 7. And the Lord said said to Moses, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thy... Gather, excuse me, thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. You know, Moses at this point is kind of like, look, man, I'm fed up. Now, he's still interceding. He's like, man, I'm fed up. Look, they keep coming and complaining. I mean, are they ever going to be satisfied? Wow. You know how the people are. But don't kill them yet. Don't destroy them. You still made a promise. He says, gather the assembly, and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. What did he say? Gather the assembly and do what? Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, since they complained about not having anything to drink. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock, not once, but twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now look, his action, I think it's a miracle, the fact that God still allowed water to come out that rock. This is some relationship between Moses and God. I mean, man, mind-blowing to me. But look at verse 12. Now here's, here is the disappointing part here. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Moses had the opportunity to lead these people all the way and see all this come to fruition. But because in these moments he led out or led with attitude rather than with character, he diminished, he took away from the glory of God, what God was trying to do. In everything that God's efforts were, he brought them through the wilderness for a reason. It was for development. And he was using Moses to help develop them. But every time Moses took it upon himself because of anger, frustration, He took away from what God was trying to do. God was patient with Moses. That's a beautiful thing, but look at what Moses missed out on. Last thing we need to do is miss out on the promised land because we're not listening to what God is telling us to do. Samson was another one. I don't have time to go through through the rest of the scriptures, but Samson was another one. Here it is. He's supposed to be the one that's supposed to be judging for Israel, right? But his job was to cast a sentence. That was what God was using the judges for, right? So he's, I mean, strong guy, Nazarite, right? You're supposed to be fighting the Philistines. Why are you going out there trying to take and join to the Philistines? 
That's confusing all in of itself. He marries one. Things happen. He gets upset. You know. That wasn't enough. They made a scheme to try to get him because they knew, okay, he obviously he liked the Philistine women. We're going to set him up. Come on over here, Delilah. You got you to do something. We got to find out where, where the, what the secret is. And because of his weakness, because he was leading out of attitude and not out of character, he fell for this woman, and as a result... It was to his demise. Now, he took out a lot of them at the end, but look at what he had to go through. Obviously, it's been said before, but the fact that they took his sight was a correlation of him losing his spiritual sight as a leader. So he, in the end, became destroyed. What am I getting at? Some lead with attitude while others lead with character. Here's the difference, y'all, and I will have to wrap this up next week. When you lead with attitude, it's always going to be based upon what situation you are in. When you lead with character, that governs your attitude. But you stay consistent in your leadership because your character never changes. Your character is not just about the way you feel. It's also the way, what you believe and what you value, all those things take apart. And so then your attitude is accountable to your belief and to your value. And when your attitude is accountable to what you believe and what you value, then you, it, it keeps your attitude in check. So what does that mean? That means that as a leader, for instance, as a child of God, if I'm going about how I feel, my level of Christianity is going to be based upon how I feel that day. Which means it's going to be inconsistent because some days I'm not going to feel like a Christian. But if I'm going by character, my character is being developed because of my relationship with God, then my feelings are governed by my relationship, what God is doing with my character, my values, my beliefs, my attitude is subject to my character. It's not my feelings alone, but it's my entire being. And if whatever I'm submitting to, that's what keeps it consistent. So I lead with character. Regardless of how I feel, I may feel sorry for you, but at the end of the day, I know I still got to do what's right. Y'all with me? I know we went through a little rabbit trail. But hopefully you get what I'm saying because it's very important. We have to be consistent in what we're doing. So we're going to talk about a little bit more about character. And then we're going to talk about diverse areas of leadership next week so we can wrap this up. That will be the last lesson that we will be talking about for putting life back into perspective. So I hope that you take some of this stuff. You know, I hope that it has blessed you. But not just taking the words, but go search the scriptures like Pastor was talking about Wednesday and look in the word of God because you can gain everything that God has for you. Everything you need to learn is in his word. Amen. Let's take a break and come back ready for a dynamic service in Jesus name.